into the world, and if we are his followers, he has called us to be salt and light to a world that desperately needs to, to hear him. So, if you are a child and are going to children's church, it's ages 4 through 1st grade, you can follow uh, Neil and Caitlin Johnson out the north door. Kids, may the Lord shine his light in your hearts today. One thing before I get into this, this uh, sermon in earnest, um, if you consider Berean to be your home church, we are asking that um, you would fill out a survey as we're going to be heading into an elder retreat, and we want to just we want to use that as a tool to see where we're at as a diagnostic tool. So if you've been sent that email, you can fill that out. With that, or if you want to do the old-fashioned way, the hard copy, there are a few out here on the uh, welcome desk, and we'd love for you to, to fill that out, and then there's a, there's a bucket in the office you can put that in. So you'd be, help, it'd be very helpful. We'd like to have at least 100 of those surveys. So if you have the opportunity to do that, we would really appreciate it. So let me say that the call on any of our lives who are followers of Jesus Christ to make known his gospel to this world, it's a privilege. It is a wonderful thing that Christ calls us to, to to talk about, first of all, the transformation that he's brought into our own lives, the darkness that he's brought us out to him, and what he's doing in us, but also just how to live that day in and day out. It's, It's a joyful honor and privilege. And it's not limited to those who have vocational ministry calls to missionaries, to pastors, uh, to uh, non-profit leaders, that type of thing. All of us are called to be salt and light. However, I will say this, especially those who do have a vocational call on their lives, sometimes this call can be a little bit challenging. Because although you have the best intentions, sometimes things don't go exactly how you planned. People don't always respond to God's Word or His Gospel how you would desire them to respond. And then you look in the mirror and you come face to face with your own limitations and your own fallibility. Sometimes there's a temptation to quit or even worse, to try and mess with things. Maybe I'll make this message a little more palatable to the world around us, to make it more you know, easy for our culture to digest. And then there's just, you know, the desire to help win people to yourself because you're the messenger, right? Sometimes what we're presenting is a Jesus, but maybe it's not the Jesus of the Scriptures. And that was a challenge that the Apostle Paul faced in his ministry. You see, again, we're back in this letter to the Corinthians. And if you have your Bibles, you might want to open them up to the fourth chapter of the second letter to the Corinthians. And this is a church that he planted. He brought the gospel to them. And many of them had responded. But now there's a question of his validity. Validity of his apostleship. They questioned his style. He's... He's not as, you know, eloquent as other preachers. They question even his message. Are you sure you got this right, Paul? Christ and him crucified? 
And again, it would be tempting to quit, be tempting to change the message. It would be tempting to create a brand around his own personality and his own gifting. And Paul reminds us and the Corinthians and perhaps himself that this ministry that he has, it all began with God himself. His mercy, his grace, his gospel, his call, and his power that opens our eyes to see him for who he really is. He's the one who's at work in us. So, to be sure, any ministry that is worth anything, we have to know that it is given by God's mercy. And so here we are, the opening words of 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 1 through 7. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the Word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of the sage has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For, we, for what we preach is not ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts, to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not us. Let me pray for us and then we'll dig into what God has for us in His Word today. So Lord Jesus, we celebrate this season where um, we realize that you came for us as we were stuck in our sin and you not only bridge that gap between us and the holy god but you call us to be messengers of this good news that you've given us of who you are of what you've done but help us to do it in a way that honors you, that's dependent upon you, that is indeed in light of your mercy. So, Lord, I pray that you'll give me your words today as we take this, this word apart and we see how we're to live it out before you. So, Lord Jesus, is in your precious name I pray these things. Amen. Well, after I had graduated from college in, a long time ago, I made a foray into seeking, was God calling me into full-time ministry? And I got an internship working with college students down in Santa Barbara, California at a church. And this passage was the passage that my mentor had us memorize. Therefore, since through God's mercy, we have this ministry. We do not lose heart. 
Little did I know that these words that were written more than 2,000 years ago would be an anchor and a stability to steady me for ministry of gospel ministry for years to come. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. The anchor for gospel ministry must be in God's mercy. Because I said earlier, it can be easy to lose heart. It really is. To be discouraged, even want to quit because of the ups and downs of ministry. Most of us do not have this rocket launch into ministry. It's like, you know, things just are on, on the upswing all the time. Yeah, there's, there are wonderful mountaintops, but then there are valleys. And that's the way it goes. As I said, things don't always turn out like you planned. People don't always respond to you or your message. And no one knew this better than Paul. Again, this letter is to a church who is questioning him. This is the Apostle Paul. I mean, we're back here, you know, it's like, what? Are you guys nuts? This guy wrote most of the New Testament. And you're questioning his validity? But he reminds us, he reminds us that we need to get our eyes off of sheep who are sometimes questioning, or was questioning him, and get our eyes on the good shepherd who by his mercy called him to minister to the sheep even when it was painful. And even if he had to patiently remind them of truths that he told them over and over and over again, Paul perseveres with the Corinthians because he is reminded that it all started with God's mercy in his own life. A man who was an enemy against the living Christ, reconciled to him, apprehended by Christ because of his intervening mercy and the work in his own heart. That's something that we need to keep in mind when we get discouraged. And he carries on with confidence that God himself will bring to the end his ends. As, as Joel quoted earlier, Romans 8.28, that God works all things for the good, for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. But here's the problem for all of us. We're right in the middle of the story as it's being written. And we don't know exactly what the next chapters are going to hold. And sometimes when things are going in a negative direction, we are worried that it's just all going to crash and burn, and that's going to be the end. But the one who called us by his mercy, he's the one who's writing the story. And we have to remember, it's by his mercy we have this ministry. He's the one who's going to bring it to his good purposes, by, for his good ends you know many of us have had the privilege of going down we haven't done it for a while i know we desire to do this but to take a team to haiti and minister down there but you know what happens we meet together before we go down there kind of get culturally uh, custom we talk about what we're going to do and we get down there and we think we're going to do this and it's not exactly how we planned and it goes a different direction and we have to roll with things. We have to be flexible. And sometimes we're even thinking, this is, this is not what I planned. This is not working out. 
And yet, as we hold on to God's hand within the midst of that, we see God's hand at work doing things that we didn't have any idea that he was going to do. But if you, you know, if you're just in the midst of the story and kind of go, wait a minute, I didn't sign up for this, we maybe abandon what God is doing in changing the plan. It is his mercy that we have this ministry. It's his mercy that made us his own. It's his mercy that called us to the privilege of even making that gospel known. It's by his mercy we're going to accomplish what he desires because in the end it all starts with God anyway. He is the one who has called us. But again, our temptation sometimes is when we don't see the immediate results that we hope for or want to see, we decide that we're going to change things. Maybe even change or modify the message. And the Apostle Paul says in verse 2, Rather we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the Word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. So number two, the gospel ministry must be grounded in God's Word. You know, the gospel of Christ and Him crucified to a modern Western ear, it doesn't necessarily appeal to self-esteem affirmation. It doesn't appeal to an attitude of, it's all good. No. The gospel oftentimes starts out with the bad news. That you and I start out as ruined, rebellious sinners heading towards eternal judgment because of our rebellion against the holy God. And we're stuck. There's nothing we can do about it. We cannot fix it. We're stuck. But as the gospel so often says, but God. But God who is rich in mercy when we were yet sinners, sent His Son for us. But God, in His mercy, has made a way out of His love. He has made a way. But there's only one way. It's only one way. Through faith in Him. That God actually did put on flesh, live this life, God did actually go to the cross and take upon Himself our penalty. And that the Son of God did indeed raise from the dead, conquering sin and death. Our faith in Him. Him doing what we could not do. Because of that, we have the benefit of being reconciled to God, forgiven, adopted into His family, part of His everlasting family, have eternal life, eternal inheritance, being dwelt by His Holy Spirit. We have a glorious future in which everything will be made right and so much more. You've been here, know this. But again, it is only one way. God didn't say there are lots of options. No. One way. One way. You cannot save yourself. That is not an option. And other faiths, that does not redeem you or reconcile you to God. There's only one way, and that might be offensive. 
It offends our own sense of self-righteousness. Again, you can't save yourself. But it's easy to distort the Word of God. It's easy to try and make it say what we want it to say. To tell people what they want to hear. That there is something that you can do to merit your salvation. Because that's what people want to hear. There's There's something I can add. There's something I can bring to the table. I've been reading uh, Eric Metaxas' bi- uh, biography about Martin Luther. And I highly recommend it, but you gotta, he's, he's a detailed guy, so you've got to have some time to go through it. And don't hear me trying to throw the Catholic Church under the bus, but in his time, as he's a, a priest, he is just seeing the corruption in the church. And I, don't, I think we would be a, a gape and a gasp to see what was going on in the church. Priests didn't even read the Bible. It was just reciting the Mass. It was just reciting what was given forth in Roman, and salvation was built up by going to church, to Mass, by going on pilgrimage to to, to see where relics were kept, and you'd give money to that, or to... Um, pay money for what were called indulgences, basically money that was given to forgive your sins or the, or the sins of your, of your relatives who were in purgatory. And it was all a money grab. And it was sad. It was perverse. It was a distortion of the Word. I don't even think the Word of God hardly was contained within it. And that's why God brings to fruition the Protestant Reformation. To return to the Scriptures. To what God has said, not what man has said. That God's Word is the standard. And it tells us the truth about who we are and who God is. Again, I'm not looking to throw the Catholic Church under the bus. I'm just telling you, God had to intervene to get us back on track. And get us back in his word. And Romans 3, 20-25 says, Therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by works of the law, or we could put in there our own efforts. Rather through the law we become conscious of our, of our sin. But now apart from the law, the righteousness from God has been made known. To which the law and the prophets, they testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ. To all who believe. There is no difference between Jew or Gentile. For all have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by His grace. Through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. Through the shedding of His blood. To be received by faith. Our faith in Him. See, we look to the, God's Word to affirm the truth about who He is, who we are, how we're to relate to Him, and that is by faith in what He has done in Christ. It's not dictated by culture. It's not dictated by Hollywood or the media or by government or human institutions. And there's a temptation today to do that. 
whether it's issues of sexuality or gender, our, wor- our world wants us to conform. And look, I'm not saying that those are issues that God cannot overcome. All that I'm saying is that God is the one who sets the standard, not us, not culture, not our government. We do not distort the Word of God. It's tempting to tell people what they want to hear. Paul says in his letter to Timothy that in the end days, people are going to gather people around them to tell them what they want to hear, to, to speak to their itching ears. Truth matters. Truth matters. Folks, there's a reason why we call ourselves Bereans. We want to receive the message with eagerness, but we want to look in God's Word to see that it is so. This is why God's Word is our standard. Not the world around us, not the culture around us, not what I think even, but what God has said in His Word. Especially when we bring forth the Gospel. There is only one way. Unfortunately, many are blinded to the message of the Gospel, as verses 3 and 4 attest. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the mind of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And this is just a confirmation that there is a very real spiritual battle out there. There is a very real spiritual enemy. Paul calls him the God of this world. And it's kind of a sarcastic, ironic kind of title because he did not create this world first of all and number two his power is not unlimited indeed as the old hymn says really this is my father's world the living god but he's allowed to have authority have influence on our world system and he wants to blind men and women from knowing what god has done to reconcile us to himself to be restored to God in Christ. And how does he do that? Well, sometimes he even uses the Scriptures themselves. As the Apostle Paul says earlier, actually in chapter 3, talking about Jews who were enamored by the Old Testament law, verse 14, but their minds were dull. For to this day the same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. Now, it's worth having a conversation with somebody who's looking into the Old Testament, whether they're Jewish or not, to ask the question, where does the law end and where does grace continue on? That's a valid question. And Paul does answer those questions. But that shouldn't be a veil. That shouldn't be a veil. And the truth of the matter is, most of the time, Satan is just appealing to our desire to be our own God. Our desire to do what we desire. Whether we would seek to just deny that Jesus ever existed at all, or to believe that we have more life in doing our own thing than responding in faith to Him. He just reiterates the old lie. God's holding out on you. 
God's trying to rip you off. And all he does is affirm a heart of self-rule that we're all born with. You know, John chapter 3, verse 19 says this. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. Jesus, the light of the world, had come into the world. But people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. I don't know that I want Jesus because I kind of like being in charge. I kind of like holding on to the reins. And I'm afraid what will happen if I let go. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Problem of Pain, says this, I willingly believe that the damned are in one sense successful rebels to the end and that the doors of hell are locked on the inside. People don't respond to God because they don't want Him to rule in their hearts. But here's the thing. People are blinded. They're blinded to an enemy that really has come to kill, steal, and destroy. Where Jesus says, I've come to give you life and give it to the full. So we need to be praying, folks, for people who are pushing back against the gospel, that God will open their eyes. It's only, it's only when God removes the veil that people can see Jesus for who He truly is. They are blinded by the God of this age. Number four. Christ is the focus of gospel ministry. Verse five. For we preach not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. You know, one of the challenges of preaching the gospel about a God who you cannot see is we have a very visual world, do we not? We're being bombarded all the time by images, whether it's on the internet, on your phone, television, billboards, what have you. We want to see it. We want to see it. The saturation of images sometimes makes us have a penchant for celebrity. Even in the church. Christians are not immune to this. We want something visible in front of us to follow. Whether that is our pastors, leaders, Christian artists, we want them to be celebrities. We want them to be rock stars. Whether that's their talents that are on display, their gifting, or their attractive people, or whether they have a large following, both at a church or on social media, it is the danger of the cult of personality. The danger of the cult of personality. Oh, I'm at so-and-so's church. You know, when I talk about my ch- our church, I, I say, you know, at the end of the day, this is Jesus' church. It's not my church. I just happen to be the under-shepherd at the moment. But we have a penchant for celebrity. Whether that's hanging on to a person's every social media post, 
or looking at their newest book or album or blog post, we start getting our eyes on what we can see to the point where we start following them instead of Christ. Here's the problem. They're human. They're fallible. They're sinners. Even the Apostle Paul was a sinner. You know, I don't know if you've been paying attention to Christian culture the last three years or so, but there's been a whole slew of public leaders who have fallen. And it's tragic. I do not celebrate this whatsoever. I do not take any pleasure in that. But we made them rock stars. We were buying their books. We were putting out their social media posts. And they were, they were acting as though they were celebrities, as though they were, you know, had God's authority. They fell under the weight of their own adulation. Proverbs 27, 21 says, The crucible for silver, and the furnace for gold. That's where those things are refined, right? But listen to this. A man is tested or refined by the praise he receives. Sometimes when you start believing your own press, you get deluded. You get deluded. And then when these people fell, some people's Christian world was rocked. It's like, so-and-so did what? I don't, I don't know if I can keep following Jesus. Wait a minute. Jesus didn't do this. So-and-so did this. Who are you following? Who are you following? You know, this was true in Paul's day. And let me say this. I understand leaders, hey, we have to set an example. We have to have a higher standard. But there's only one Savior. And His name is Jesus Christ. Everyone else has feet of clay. Everyone else is sinking sand. And Paul's solution for this was to be not a celebrity, but to be a servant. In fact, the word that's used there is the word doulos, which really translates as slave. A slave to Christ's flock in Corinth for Jesus' sake. And maybe he wasn't validated, maybe he wasn't appreciated, maybe he was taken for granted, but he was more like his Savior in his actions and attitude than those who seek to increase their own brand their own platform, if you will. It is his heart that Jesus was exalted, not himself. He wasn't trying to make Paul's name great. He was trying to make Jesus' name great. That Christ was their rock, not himself. Because Paul knows one day he'll be gone. But Jesus remains. Now, if Jesus doesn't come back one day, Pastor Nathan will be gone. But Jesus will remain. This is His church. And I pray that your foundation is not on me, but it's on Christ Himself and no one else. But here's the questions we have to ask. Are we looking for that celebrity leader 
that we can see rather than the Savior we can only see with our hearts. And those of us who are leading or in a place of ministry, are we tempted to make ministry about ourselves rather than Christ? Because let me tell you, that is a huge temptation. You pour a lot of yourself into ministry, and then maybe you don't get back what you think you want to get back with your own ego. And then you have to ask the question, who is this about? Is this about me, or is it about Christ? And making His name great. Number five, God is the one who shines the light of the gospel. Verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made His light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. And to the contrast of what Satan was doing when it comes to the gospel, it is God who opens our eyes in order that we might have the knowledge of the glory of Christ. What Paul says he borrows from the language of creation in Genesis 1-3, let there be light. To illustrate how God shines His light in our hearts so that we can see His glory. Now here's what I want you to see. It's not just the glory of God. It is the glory of God in the face of Christ. It is the glory of God in the face of Christ. It's not just this blinding light. It is this, oh, now I've got definition in who Jesus is. You know, when Jesus is about ready to leave earth, he's having this conversation with his disciples. And Philip says, show us the Father, and that will be enough. And he says, have I not been with you long enough that you do not recognize me? He who has seen me has seen the Father. I'm not saying that Jesus and the Father are the same person, but it's like when you see the Son, you see what the Father is like. He has explained Him, as John 1.18 says. When you see Jesus, you see what the Father is like. You see, there are lots of ideas about what God is like. And most of them are derived from our imaginations in, in popular culture. But if you want to see God, what He's really like, then it's found in Jesus. And that's what Satan tries to do. To obscure your vision of Jesus. He tries to blind unbelievers from the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. As we saw back in verse 4. This has a couple implications. First of all, if you are a believer in Christ, I don't know what your journey was to putting your faith in Him. Your intellectual you know, diggings, what have you. But I want to say this. If you have put your faith in Christ, God has shined His light in your heart in order that you might see Him for who He fully is. He opened up His floodlight in your heart so that you could see that. That is an amazing privilege. You have to know that, be thankful for that, but also be patient with others who have not had that light turn on yet. And be praying that that happens. And if you're here and you're seeking about who Jesus is, 
and you have some real questions, that's great. We would love to engage you about that. If you're not sure, keep searching. But also do this. Pray in your heart, because God wants to reveal himself to you. God, Jesus, if you're real, I need you to reveal yourself to me. Heavenly Father, shine your light in my heart so that I can see the truth of who you are. Ask him to do that. Ask him to do that, and he will. He will open the eyes of your heart. But here's the thing. You're still going to have the enemy whispering in your ear, don't put your faith in Christ, because then you'll lose your life. You know, again, back in John chapter 1, verse 11, it talks about Jesus coming into the world, right? The Word. And it says, He came to His own, and His own received Him not. He comes to a lot of Jewish people who have been reading God's Word, and they're not going to receive Him. Because they don't want Him. But it goes on in the next verse, in verse 12, saying, but to as many as received him, even to those who believed in his name, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. If he reveals himself, then respond. Don't say, uh, uh, maybe later, Jesus. Maybe some other time. No, if he opens up your heart, today is the day of salvation. He wants to change your heart today. And again, as we make this known, I don't think our world has a problem grasping conceptually what the gospel is. They just have a problem grasping the the reality of this is how God works. This is what God has done in sending His Son. And so again, we need to be praying that God opens the eyes of hearts because only God can do it. So last of all, last of all, God's Spirit in us is the power for gospel ministry. Verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And this could be a whole sermon in itself. But it nails some things down. The reality, first of all, of our own human frailty, but it's by God's mercy, by faith in Him, that he comes to dwell within us. And this all-surpassing power that's in us, who Paul calls jars of clay, or cracked pots, as the case may be, that's the privilege of that. He comes to dwell within us. Again, it points to our limitations and a call to depend upon him who can do more in us than we can ask imagine and it's a reminder that by ourselves we can do nothing it's the point that jesus was trying to make in john 15 that he is the vine we are the branches if we don't abide in him we're not going to do anything there's nothing we can do for him but if we abide in him are connected with him in his spirit we will bear much fruit you see You have to know this if you're ever going to go into ministry seriously. Otherwise, you're going to burn out. It's by His mercy, by His power. It's not me. It's Christ in me. You 
cannot do it. But He can. And that is good news. That is good news. This treasure is found in jars of clay. Show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. One of my favorite illustrations, and I know I've told this from the pulpit before, but I'm going to tell it again. That's what pastors do. When I was 21, I worked for Pacific Gas and Electric and ran a 90-pound jackhammer. That is a beast of equipment, let me tell you. It's got about a three-inch blade at the end of it for chipping up asphalt and concrete. Now, I could try and do that thing myself, pick that thing up and smack it down a few times. It might chip the asphalt, it might chip the concrete, but it'll never do what it's, its purpose for. That's me trying to make it happen. But when I first learned to use this thing, I tried to control it. I tried to make it do my will. And I'll tell you, that, that thing shook me to death. That power of that, of that air, that pneumatic air, that spirit air, if you will, pulsing through that thing, I tried to contain it, and it just shook me to death. And then I learned to cooperate with it, to let it do the work, and just point it in the right direction and lean into it, and it was like night and day. I think so many of us are like, you know, we're trying to maybe chip away ourselves. Maybe we're trying to control God. We're getting shaken to death. But if we learn to just lean into Him and let Him do the work, we accomplish so much more. My friends, if you're in Christ, He has given you a ministry to be salt and light wherever you are. And there are times you might be discouraged. But therefore, since through God's mercy you have this ministry, don't lose heart. Let's not distort the Word of God. Let's tell people the truth. Let's realize that not everyone's going to respond. They're blinded by the God of the sage. Pray that God will remove those blinders. We're not preaching ourselves, but Him. It's His light that shines the light so that people can see Christ. And ultimately, it is His power that brings the results, the change, even using us as crackpots. I hope this word encourages you. It has encouraged me and kept me steady for years of bringing God's word and the gospel. So let me pray for us, and Bobby, will you and the worship team come and close us? Lord, I thank you for this word. <laughs> Therefore, it is since through your mercy that we have this ministry. So help us not to lose heart in those moments when we are discouraged, but help us to cooperate with you, be dependent upon you, to proclaim the word truthfully, to proclaim your word trusting that you're going to shine the light of your gospel in the hearts of men and women. And let me say, if you're in here and you are wanting to respond to Christ today, would you pray these words in your heart? My words aren't magic, but they are the words of a sincere response 
to Christ. Lord Jesus, I realize I'm a sinner. and There's nothing I can do to save myself. But I want to put my faith in you, of what you've done, living a perfect life that I couldn't live. Of going to the cross to take upon yourself my just punishment for my sin. And come into me and give me the life that I do not have myself. Give me eternal life. Give me the life of your Holy Spirit coming into me. Come and take control. I want to give you my life today. Let you live in me and through me for your glory. Thank you for shining your light into my heart today. And for the rest of us, Lord, I pray that you help us to continue to realize that it is your power within us that gives us the power to live the Christian life, not our own discipline, not our own pulling up ourselves from by the bootstraps. It is your power within us. And we will give you the glory for that. So we thank you for that. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming for us. And it is in your name we pray these things. Amen.